Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I also have an Instagram, I Love That Movie Podcast. And we have a Discord group and a Facebook group. So if you want to join us in there, um, it's just kind of a safe space to uh, speak with other movie lovers, judgment-free, and my only rule in there is keep it positive. Uh, we, you can also support us on Patreon if you want to check us out on there. And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons really quick. Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Michael Cross, and Joseph George. Thank you guys so much. I uh, really appreciate your support. Um, and if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. Uh, it helps new listeners find us. Uh, and today I have a returning guest. I have Tim from the Academy Rewind podcast on the Thought Bubble Network. Say hi, Tim. Hello. Oh, no, I did it wrong. Hi. You said say hi, and I said hello. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's okay. Like a moron. It's, it's up to oh, you. No. <laughs> you can interpret it however you will. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Tim, we talked about one of my favorite movies that I'll like pretty much defend till my grave, Prometheus, last time. <laughs> Same. I will defend yeah. it to your grave. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. dang. That sounds ominous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, for people that have not heard that episode and have not heard your wonderful podcast, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, well, my name is Tim, and I am uh, one of the co-hosts of Academy Rewind, in which we are, my friend and I, are my co-host, we're going backwards kind of through the Academy um, Academy nominations for Best Picture and we kind of go by we kind of go by decade and so we're about in the middle actually we're kind of in the middle of the kind of the the show itself because we're in like the fives so uh -huh. you know right now we're releasing 2015 and 2005 and 1995 and all of this all of this stuff and it's it's real good fun. It's a lot of movies, but it's it's real good fun. <laughs> it's a much bigger undertaking than than Palmer and I had anticipated when we started. But all of a sudden, like you get down to like nineteen thirty whatever, and they're like, "Oh, did you know that fifteen movies were nominated this year?" And you're like, "Oh my oh god, my god!" I know, I'm like, oh, oh no, I love <laughs> movies, but oh my goodness. So, uh, but yeah, it's but that's a that's uh that's a blast, and so I love talking movies, and I love to being on this show so and i Yay. love listening to the show you do a great job here so um, oh thank you i love your show too i just listened to your episode uh i forget the year but it was when whiplash came out like a bunch of good movies birdman 2015 yeah in 2015 imitation okay, yeah. game uh, american sniper whiplash yes yeah yes it was a great year mm -hmm. grand budapest hotel i think yeah. was also that year yep yes 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 mm -hmm. yes yeah also a movie that i love like Unabashedly, so I could almost talk about yeah. any one of those movies. 
Right. At, I it was a good year. <laughs> it was a good year. Actually, it's 1995. That's the craziest year because oh, really? it's it's Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption. And that's what? Just, right, I know. I know. And this uh, what was the other one? It's a quiz show which was like a sleeper that nobody seems to remember, but it was so good. Uh, yeah. It was so good and I can't remember the f- now I can't remember the fifth one. Obviously, it oh, was no. <laughs> obviously it was the best one. Obviously, hold on. I'm gonna do like a quick like I'm gonna do a quick look up myself. So I four weddings <laughs> no and a, four weddings and a funeral. I knew I was. Oh, okay, one. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was awesome. Stacked year. So anyway, so you can wait for the 1995 episode if you if you love some Shawshank Redemption and Forrest Gump. Definitely. Yeah, I think we've talked we've talked about Shawshank on this show. I don't think we've done Forrest Gump yet, but. I'm sure we will eventually. Someone's got to pick that. Someone someone <laughs> loves Forrest Gump, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, Tim, thanks so much for coming on. And our guest always picks the movie. So what movie did you pick today? I picked Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, 19, 1960. Yeah, baby. Uh, Psycho is one of my all-time favorites. I have good memories attached to Psycho, apart from it being like just a great film i Uh like i have fond memories of it i think it's actually one of the things that like one of the movies that kind of like inspired me to love film and so i just i'll just go back to it at any time even if i'm not in the mood to be scared which i still kind of get scared of this movie i um, (laughs) yeah it's intense it's intense yeah and uh, i just uh i think about i think i think about it even way more than i should like (laughs) You know, everyone like has their favorite movies and I just I think I just like it pops into my head way more than is reasonable for a movie (laughs) to spend time in your brain. For me, that movie, as you probably know, is The Shining, where I've watched it over and over and Mm -hmm. analyzed it to death. So I totally feel you. And when I say that, people are like, that movie, that's so dark. So I, I, I get it. It's like. It's not just the subject matter. It's how it was shot. It's how it's the actors. It's everything about it mm-hmm. that is enchanting. And I think that's that makes sense that that would be a movie that you would, uh, you know, really love. I mean, it's Alfred Hitchcock. Right. Uh, need I say more? But when when did you first see this movie? Uh, I saw it when I was nine. And this is kind of. Wow. I know. Okay. <laughs> that's young. So I know. I know. Please so explain. <laughs> this is what, what you said the word enchanting, which I don't think is a word that's ever been applied to Psycho or The Shining. <laughs> ever <laughs> well yeah but i love it shining's another one like it's like right in my top five favorite films i'm right there with you it's it's the best oh my gosh it's the best but it's anyway so good so i guess i saw it when i was nine so my my brother was 11 and i was nine and my mom who's kind of a big cinephile she was she was like you both need to be introduced to great cinema and she made us sit down and watch psycho oh that's great yeah it is I great love that. until like i remember that i was nine years old and i like <laughs> didn't have context for almost anything that was happening but i just so much of the movie stayed with me and not even in like the creepy sense just like just the um the atmosphere of the film i think kind of sat with me for a long time my brother uh did not close the shower curtain when he showered for years after watching this movie <laughs> so you were like did the main actress so yeah janet lee yeah she didn't yeah, yeah she did not she did not take 
showers like ever again apparently yeah after making this movie which i mean even if you're <laughs> filming it somebody r- runs at you even with a rubber knife like i probably wouldn't take showers either you just you you think about it from then on it's such a vulnerable position to be in um and you feel like it's a safe space i mean when you're taking a shower in your own home you know it's not something you're thinking about Right. At all, like maybe even at night when you hear a creak and you're in bed, you might look over your covers. But when you're showering, you're not thinking about that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense that that would be really, really frightening, and no one had ever seen that in a movie before. So right, it's one of the geniuses yeah. of the movie is that like you, these are not part part of what's scary about a lot of horror movies is that like you get attacked in places you should feel safe like that's why like the first nightmare on elm street is so is so good because like you should be safe in bed that's why the boogeyman is so scary with the creature that Mm -hmm. lives under your bed you know like you should be safe in bed that's the same not that like the bed is anywhere safer in your house than anywhere else it's not like there's like a a magic (laughs) but you do have a yeah false sense of security for sure yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean um i when you're talking about seeing this movie and having attachments to it that are not necessarily scary i've talked about that before it's the exact same thing with the shining where i saw it a bunch of times quoted it endlessly really appreciated it cinematically and so it's like it has a different meaning to me than I think for some people who are just afraid of horror movies and I think the same can kind of be said of Psycho or really any Alfred Hitchcock film it's like some people might say oh these are strange or they're too dark or whatever but if you truly appreciate his movies I think you're seeing them a little bit under a different lens and that could be because of how you're exposed to it or just what you like in cinema i don't know but mm-hmm. i i totally that resonates with me i don't think that i saw this movie though until i was an adult um and i keep referencing in my podcast this film class and i feel like someday someone's going to add up all these movies oh, and be the like, did Nos- you really watch all these in one film class? is this the, this is like the nosferatu film class right too because you watched yeah. yeah okay yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and we did in like the bad part i always say is that and this is not a knock on film classes at all But I think because it was like an intro, it was like we were just watching stuff back to back and I think I was disengaged. It's on me as a bad student that I didn't appreciate what all these great movies I was watching. I think I was just seeing them too fast or something, Mm -hmm. you know. So I feel like we might have watched this in that, you know, I'm sure we threw in an Alfred Hitchcock movie. So I'm going to assume it was this one. (laughs) I mean, this is kind of like his, I mean... You could argue that Rear Window or Vertigo mm-hmm. or The Birds or you could argue that any of those North by Northwest, any of those movies could be like his, you know, top movie, you know, for whatever reason. But I think Psycho is a movie that changed the industry and not even just right. horror movies. It changed movies. It changed the mm-hmm. way we go to movies. And so I um, I think you could that he never reached. I mean, this was not exactly the end of his career but um you know he had like i want to say like another like 18 years of movie making or something like that after this but he never he never hit his psycho height again so if i was doing like a film class 101 in which i actually do kind of teach a class like that i i would put psycho on that list and i actually use scenes from psycho i don't show the whole movie but it it resonates even with a modern audience in a way that some of his other movies might seem a little hokier now. Like the birds doesn't play I agree. as well. 
A hundred percent. And and the birds I saw a bunch of times as a kid. Like some of his other movies I saw several times. But Psycho, I think just because of the subject matter, it was like, and I've talked about this before that like in my household, we didn't really watch horror. Like, you know, one side of my family was very too conservative to watch it. Not that everyone conservative doesn't watch horror, but just in my family. And then on the other side of my family, they just weren't interested. So I missed out on a lot of great movies because of that. So, you know, in college, that was like an opportunity to see some of these movies pretty much. I mean, college is like a college is a great breeding ground for like getting exposed to things that you probably should have seen a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah. Or red. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Or red. <laughs> actually. Yeah. Or red. I mean. I mean, although or red sometimes boils down to in college, like, yeah, no, I listened in class when they talked about that book I was supposed to read. <laughs> That's true. I'm sure I was guilty of that as well. But yeah, the two classes that I, even though I say like I watched it too fast, the two classes I remember the most from college really are, are the film class I went to and then that comic book class that I had, which is random. But You, you took a comic, did I hear that right? You took a comic book class? So yeah, like they added, I went to UNT and they added this class that was like a graphic novel class. Speaking my language is what you're doing. <laughs> and what was really funny too is, uh, so it, it counted as like an English class. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I'll do that. And the professor basically just made it up as he went along every day. Like he, like wow. he, there's no, there's no like blueprint for that. So he would just be like, today we're going to read Watchmen. Today we're going to read the Dark Knight Returns, like, you know, he just kind of, and so I read a lot of comics that way, actually. <laughs> well, he hit some, I mean, he hit some good ones, but if you're talking books like, books in relation to what Psycho did for the movie industry, then, like, Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns basically did the same thing for, exactly. for yeah. comics. So Yeah, and so I remember those, those classes the most, and probably just because they interest me the most, sure. more than some of my other classes, but, sure. yeah, yeah, I'm, I am thankful that I, that I had that class, I mean, it probably has something to do with me ending up doing this podcast. So <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, this this movie I saw, like I said, as an adult. But every time I revisit it, it's like, I don't know. It's almost like, I don't want to say watching it for the first time. But do you know what I mean? It just, it's it's an experience. And it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't, it doesn't feel like overly familiar to me when I turn it on. It's like, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch this. And I'm 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 pretty much engaged the entire time. You know, I it's it's funny that you say that because I've seen this movie I don't even know how many times since I was nine. So let me see. I'm so I, I you're talking over over twenty years now that I've like sat and seen this movie however many times. It still feels fresh when I watch it. Every, mm -hmm. Everything's fresh. There's a there's a constant state of tension and ambiguity in mystery that. Yeah. feels like the characters feel it because that's pretty much how Hitchcock like ran his ran his films. You never knew what Hitchcock was going to do, so everybody's on their toes all the time. And that sense right. that sense of almost like impending dread penetrates the film. So even if you know what's going to happen, you still feel this sense of urgency or dread. Jaws is kind of the same way, you know, like the music is a big yeah, part of that. Yeah. But uh it's what a cool movie to what what a cool movie to feel that you can like experience fresh over again right completely i mean earlier when you were saying you know that 
it, it ages better than some of his other films. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with what you're talking about. And I hadn't even thought of it that way, but it's 100% right. I mean, it, it just, it still feels jarring and shocking and all those things you're meant to feel when you watch his movies in a way that I'm not sure the birds can quite capture. It's still a great movie, but it still feels like a movie of its time. And this, this sort of transcends that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I guess we'll, we'll talk about why and uh i have a couple quick facts that i was going to throw out there and if you want to jump in with some facts or some thoughts you know feel free to go ahead oh you know what i'm getting ahead of myself i'm (gasps) just getting too excited let's talk about the plot first (laughs) we could do that let me say what the the summary is it's really short because i want to dive in but the summary is a Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her f- employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote hotel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. Well, yeah, that is... Yeah. Wow, that is... That's what happens. Super... That is super short. That is what happens. <laughs> it's what happens. And as usual, guys, if you haven't seen this movie yet, which... Come on. Go see this movie. But if you haven't seen it yet... Stop listening, because we're going to say all kinds of spoilers. Yeah, you can't talk about Psycho without spoiling it, so (laughs) that's kind of where you end if you've never seen it before. Exactly. Because that that synopsis is like the first 20 minutes of the movie. It's not even even the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah, because we're going to talk about it. Um, So so here's a couple quick facts that I had, too. Um, In order to implicate viewers as fellow voyeurs... Uh, Sir Alfred Hitchcock used a 50 millimeter lens on his 35 millimeter camera, and this gave the closest approximation to human vision. In the scenes where Norman is spying on Marion, this effect is felt. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. That's, I know. It is cool. That's, it's like, that's it, film it feels subconscious. Geek. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love, <laughs> I love that. Mm-mm. Talk about aspect ratios. You're like, hmm. Speaking <laughs> my language. Yeah. It feels like, go. what What were you saying? Um, oh, no. It, it just feels, uh, it's not something I super picked up on. Like, I mean, I, I could tell that we're seeing it from his vantage point, but I didn't know that's what was giving it that effect. So saying that's a, that's a, that is a new fact for me. And I am, I'm almost like woefully ignorant when it comes to like this camera lens does this. Like I kind of, oh, yeah, I know the shots, there. I know the movements, I know the angles, but like I don't make movies. So like the real technical side of what, a, like this lens does this like, whew, Yeah. I want to know. It's like I'm like hungry for the information, but I don't even know where to begin. Same. It's a little daunting. It's a lot. Uh, director Hitchcock was so pleased with the score written by uh, Bernard Herrmann that he doubled the composer's salary and said 33% of the effect of Psycho is due to the music. Wow. He doubled his salary. That's awesome. Good for Yeah. Good for him. I know that they had they've co- they collaborated before Psycho, mm-hmm. um, and so this was just kind of the first in line because Hitchcock's first cut of this movie, he didn't want the shower scene to have music, right, uh, right. And so, um, and he showed it to studio execs, and they were like, "This is terrible. It's not scary. It's not anything. You've ruined yourself." And then so, <laughs> and then so, Bernie Herman like went and like put this music in and Hedgecock was like, well, you literally have saved my movie. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like he had a lot of input on this scene and others. So makes sense. And I mean, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier about, you know, Jaws, the, the music being a big part of that. I think 
a lot of great horror has amazing soundtracks. Like even The Shining, you know, it's like it's mm. a big part of what makes it successful. So Shining has an amazing, amazing. So just the just the um that sound the requi <laughs> the the, the, the that sound but then also like the um the requiem oh yeah i could talk about the music of the shining let alone the movie anyway we're here to talk about psycho (laughs) dang it you don't get the shining you don't even get you don't even get the shining without psycho right Uh, amen yep totally uh last one that i have was that uh you know, the studio gave Hitchcock a really small budget to work with because of their distaste of the source material, and they also deferred most of the box office take to Hitchcock, thinking the movie would fail, and then it would became a sleeper hit and made Hitchcock a fortune. Which is lucky for Hitchcock because he basically like mortgaged his career or like on this on this movie. Like Yeah, I, yeah. I mean Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. If you have, if you have, if you want to elucidate on the fact, go for it. Yeah. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say I was watching uh, behind the scenes um, before we started recording, and uh, you know I was watching how he he drummed up hype for this movie. The way he would tell people like, "You can't spoil it for other people," and like took out all these ads. Do not spoil the ending of this movie for other people. And then having like the theaters say to people when they bought a ticket, like, "You have to buy a ticket. You have to come exactly when it starts. If you buy the ticket late, you have to buy the next showing." Like just generating all this anxiety and hype for his movie it makes a lot of sense now why he did that knowing that he had so much stake in it yeah i agree but i mean like it's i like that you brought that up because he his actions in doing that changed the way that people went to the movies because before before people would just show up to the movie and they would just they would come early like they'd come early they'd come late they'd come in the middle it wouldn't matter people would just like they would just let you into the movie because you were paying so wow, it, it, that sounds so bizarre now. <laughs> I know, I know. So for Hitchcock, like he to put like ads in newspapers, and then like to have movie theaters say like, "No, you have to buy the ticket here, and if you show up after the time, like you have to wait for the next one." That's a that was a brand new concept. Okay, I did not realize that. That's so cool. I know. So he like out Psycho literally changed the way people go to the movies. That's it's just mind blowing to think that people would just walk in in the middle of it or at the end or whenever it's like what isn't that wasting your time kind of. which is kind of what he says he's like you're wasting your own time and money if you don't come at the beginning <laughs> right can, can you imagine walking into psycho after the shower scene like <laughs> no i guess it was do you think it was a mentality of that movies are just entertainment so it's like um, you could just walk in whenever and enjoy them. I think so. I think that could be part of it, but maybe in the way that there weren't as many coming out. And so like you could like mm. catch it like, you know, maybe you like see half and you go to dinner and you're like, maybe we'll see the other half another time or something like that. Wow. Isn't that? I know. It's it's so, <laughs> so weird. And I mean, yeah. like now I'm like, if we don't get there 15 minutes before, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. I was really stressed on Sunday. We saw Parasite. And uh, I miscalculated how long it would take to get ready. And then we got there and we weren't late, but the lights had dimmed and I had to like squeeze in. And I was just so mad at myself. Like, I did this to us. I, oh God, the the lights are already down. You know, it's like the the trailers hadn't even started. And I'm like already pissed off. Yep. So, Uh, yeah, yeah, we are cut from the same cloth. (laughs) 
oh yeah i gotta be there and and now i mean with the theaters with the comfy seats and this it's not even like you have to really worry about your seat getting stolen unless you right you know or not getting a good one unless it's a huge movie and somebody's a somebody's a butthead but you know yeah it's i just i can't i that I can't get over, but I, <laughs> but as I love, I think I love the making of this movie just as much as I love the movie itself because I think I, when you know the behind the scenes, it almost adds your appreciation to the movie. So if the movie's good on its own merits and you can enjoy it, but then you just get all the flavor at like afterwards. Mm-hmm. So like Hitchcock fought the the MPAA. He you know he, he fought the you know the the ruling on this uh, on the movie over and over again because like the shower scene they would be like we see nudity and other people would, there's like five of there's five of them at the time <laughs> and like three of them would be like we see nudity and other two would be like no we don't and then so they'd send a note back to Hitchcock be like please take out the nudity and he would be like and then he'd write a note back and be like okay I took out the nudity and he didn't do anything and then they'd watch right. the reel again <laughs> and then like the people who saw the nudity the last time wouldn't see anything, but the people who didn't see it did see it. And then they'd send a note back and they'd be like, please remove the nudity. He'd be like, okay. And he did. Anybody didn't do anything. And so he did this like for a week until, but he never changed the movie. And so that's hilarious. And so finally they were like, it, like people, they were like, oh yeah, there's no nudity in the movie. And because it's all suggestion. And I mean, there was, this is the first movie to ever show a toilet in a movie. Ever. Right, you're right. I mean, we're talking about an era where, you know, like, I Love Lucy, they have to sleep in separate beds, even though they're married. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, right. just so much censorship. Uh, it's hard to wrap our minds around now. Like, now people are always like, oh, they're pushing the envelope too far. They're doing this or doing that. Can you imagine if they had never pushed the envelope? Like, where would we be? You know? We'd still be watching so. Peyton Place or something like that. <laughs> Which actually yeah. also pushed the envelope in its day. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, there you go. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's nuts i liked the way i love the way that this movie is kind of structured in which like mm-hmm. you have your the character you're supposed to root for you have you know janet lee your uh, marion crane steals money from her employer and she's yeah. like i'm gonna run away to my boyfriend who i have no i have no heat with whatsoever um well i yeah so with a boyfriend okay so that whole part of the movie i think i I always kind of forget about because, you know, when you when you think about this film, you think about sort of like the meat of it, like mm-hmm. after that, after she meets Norman. Um, it It is interesting to me that she has this boyfriend she meets up with um, and he's, you know, recently divorced and he's paying alimony and he's also, uh, you know, got other debts and he's just not a good prospect for marriage. But I mean, it, it starts off right away with it being a little bit scandalous with the fact that she's meeting up with him and having these little rendezvous. And then she steals all that money, and it's like I, right away I was like I didn't remember the fact that she's not really, you know, a pure protagonist, like she, in pure in the sense of like normally they're more heroic characters. Mm. I, that's a great. That's an excellent. That's an excellent point because she's really, especially by nineteen six like nineteen sixties standards, late fifties, early sixties, she's not your typical heroine. But, yeah, especially how she looks. I mean, just a character that looks like that is usually like a sweet, innocent woman, you know, and she's far from that. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just interesting. Yeah, actually her clothes, her costume was bought off the rack for the movie because Hitchcock, oh, really? Hitchcock really wanted her to have like a true, like 
normie, I guess, appearance. Like you're a regular person from oh. Arizona. You're not glammed up or this or that. You are just a regular, regular person. That's so interesting. So, you know, previous to this, at least in a lot of movies, yeah, they're they're really dolled up, which I guess you could even say now. You know, you look at teenagers or mm-hmm. adults in movies and they're wearing like stuff that that character can't afford to wear. Right. But, you know, it's kind of hard to tell with an older movie in the 60s, at least for me. I was born in the 80s. It's like <laughs> it's hard for me to tell what's true couture and what isn't. So that's an interesting thing to note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't know either to be honest but <laughs> it all looks fancy now <laughs> yeah you're like ooh, that yeah. looks nice i wish that style would come back you know i know it's like i'm sit- i'm you know always in my t-shirt and jeans so to me that was pretty ritzy oh good for you i'm still in my work i'm still <laughs> in my work clothes yeah <laughs> you're lucky i you're lucky i removed my tie for this <laughs> oh my gosh um i i like how so i i i certainly like how like Hitchcock tricks you, right? So he he mm-hmm. wants you to think this movie's about Janet Lee because she's the first person that you see and you know about, but then she dies. And so right. so I guess that's where the spoilers come in. Sorry. Spoilers. No, go for it. Um, go for it. So then she dies. So then you start wondering like, so who is this movie really about? Which is 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 a risky move in storytelling because you've you've ditched your main character. It's almost like Star Wars, where you're, the first twenty minutes of the movie you're following two droids around. They're not the main characters of the story. <laughs> like the first yeah. characters you meet are usually your heroes. That like that's so the audience knows like you're the lead of the movie. I know I'm here to see you. And Hitchcock makes you believe that because you meet Marion first. But then, and because you go through so much with her, I mean, she steals the money. You learn about her boyfriend. She drives away. She buys another car. It's like it's hard to believe you would spend that much time with a person, learn that many things about them, and then they die. But then later in the movie, it makes sense why we needed to learn all that about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, her. I think that Hitchcock does a great job. He, like, sets up her normalcy, even though she, like, steals all this money. She steals, like, millions of dollars in, to, like, if you do if you work for inflation. Like, and I think, mm. I can't remember how much she steals offhand. It's, like, 40 grand or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, like, $40,000. Yeah, which is, like, she's millions and millions of dollars she has stolen from this guy in, like, her pocketbook. <laughs> and she's just, like, she just drives off. But I think her... Because she feels so human and regular that when you meet Norman, like you, you're you're kind of immediately set on edge because he's so normal, but also not at all. Because yeah, Anthony Perkins is a handsome man. Like he is, but he's slight, and it feels like a lot of times when the guy is like skinny and good looking it's like they're evil i don't understand why that is but that actually that, i mean that actually might be something to do with that actually might be something to do with um this movie because i guess like oh, okay. male heroes i guess typically you'd be like you know even at this time you know you think like almost like charlton heston you know like a little broad shouldered and i've got the muscles and right. i'm here to save the day superhero type and so this like squirmy guy also in a way feels regular but Perkins before this movie was a Broadway guy but he was also like Hollywood pretty boy like he was like cast as like the nice guy next door in this so he's so whereas like 
the movie wants you to follow Marion. It also wants you to think that Norman is like, oh, he's just this like guy that like has an overbearing mom. Right. And I think Alfred Hitchcock mentioned that he kind of reminded him of like a Jimmy Stewart type. So he yes. wanted to lure people into sort of a false sense of security. Here's a guy that you love. He's so nice. Mm-hmm. But then they give you all these tiny little hints about him being a little bit off. But it's hard for Marion Crane to recognize those flags too well because she's on the run. So it's like, you know, it creates an interesting dynamic between I them. I agree. Although, I honestly, I do think that she gets it, but she ignores it in favor of... Yeah, she, she can't leave. Right. Yeah. I, she could, but she just chooses not to and that's almost like where the tragedy really sets in where like oh you could have just gotten in your car and drive like and drove away like nobody would have stopped you you could have had your cheese sandwich in your in the taxidermy room and then and just Yuck. i know i know <laughs> that's actually my favorite it just I know. <laughs> your cheese sandwich in the taxidermy room there's like a lot going on there that doesn't sound fun <laughs> yeah actually my favorite scene in the movie though i think it it's so it it's so illuminating for both of their characters in the way that he shoots like these these birds of prey looming over Norman and so it's yeah. like the birds are almost like his subconscious like attacking him to attack her like she doesn't um or she is like the mouse cuz she's kind of mousy in her own way she's like she's so pretty but she's also kind of she's also kind of mousy in that she's dressed rather plainly and whatever else and so she so he's coming for her, but he's also like the prey to his to his own insanity. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I think Marion, uh, you know, she's so hesitant in her crime. Um, you can see the way she's looking around, the way she crumbles when questioned about anything. And then even later when she has a change of heart, it's like you get the feeling that she's a normal person that's in a desperate situation and she's making a bad choice. So I think that makes her more, you know, we have more sympathy for her. Mm -hmm. And it does make her seem like, even though you're right, she does pick up on cues that things are wrong, but there's sort of an innocence to how she ultimately handles it. And that makes her such a a great victim (laughs) of this crime later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because if we didn't like her, then I don't really care if she if she if she dies, right? Right, the, right. So you need like a quarter of the movie to to really feel for her to really feel for her death. Do you think that um, at that point in the movie, does Hitchcock want you to like feel bad for Norman? Hmm. Because we don't know that he's the murderer at that point. Right. So yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, does he want? us to feel bad or for her to feel bad for him i think he does kind of have this like childlike innocence that he then like turns into this creepy innocence so like this he spies on her right you know like through yeah that's like horrifying (laughs) it's like every woman's nightmare (laughs) it is horrifying but it's also this like i can't remember what I, i was just reading this not too long ago but there's a like the in like childhood development in boys there's like this like innate curiosity at that age when they hit puberty where they're like i need to like know about stuff and so like there's like this mother watching thing that like happens i think this is all freud this, i know it's all it's all <laughs> so scary i know it's all freud and whatever else but at the same time so if you like follow that psychological 
trend in like at the time, then like Norman is almost like this stilted adolescent. You know? Oh, for sure. I and and, and I, I get what you're saying. It's like there's a point where I, I think really it's men and women. Um, they become really curious and they sort of test boundaries. And then it's up to adults to be like, hey, that's fine. How about we don't do that? <laughs> right. Let's let's be constructive with our curiosity. And And you're right. I think Norman Bates, it's like he doesn't have those social cues, but you're sort of maybe almost willing to forgive it because you know that he's or you sense that he's been stilted in his upbringing, that he's stuck in that moment. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I do think it, it, it does seem like something boyish that's gone on for too long kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's but then you find out that's kind of his own. I mean, it's his mom's fault, but it's also then Norman's fault because he kills his mom to like become his mom which is awful and weird <laughs> yeah can't get i mean norman is so psycho is based on the book uh which is based off of the the murders of um ed gein who, who right. like inspired mm-hmm. like every movie killer since psycho basically right because it's so nuts yeah right it's like horrifying like actually even like Ed Gein's interviews with the because like he almost wanted to be caught he'd be like in town and they'd be like oh no she's not missing she's up at the house right now and they'd be like ha, ha, ha. oh Ed you crazy and yeah he, and yeah yeah he'd be like no she is at the house what is the matter with all of you people uh you know <laughs> and like Norman's almost that way so like his final interview at the end of the movie is kind of like a reflection of the inter- last interviews with Ed Gein where like oh yeah mm-hmm. I think that's what kind of, in a lot of way, makes like maybe that's why I still get unsettled by Psycho, because like even though it's it's a fictional world and it's like, it, like the world that Norman lives in in his own head is like not, you know, maybe not great or PC even anymore or anything like that. It's still because you know it's based on somebody who was kind of like that. Actually, he was even worse. Then oh yeah, it was way worse. There's no way they could have made a movie about that. Not, then no, if if <laughs> if the people if the people at the studios were like, you can't have a toilet in a movie, then there was there's absolutely <laughs> right. there's no way that you could make a mo- a real movie about Ed Gein at this point. Yeah, mm. do you think that the like the mo- Do you think the movie dips after? Um, do you think it that that it dips after the murder of of Marion, or does it kind of? maintain its um does it maintain its hold on the audience because like so after because then like you're introduced to marion's sister who you've never met before and the boyfriend who like you barely knew before and so and then the detective so like do you know whose side you're supposed to be on um you know the only part of the movie that dips for me is at the end when the detective is like walking everyone through why norman did it oh sure Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, because I feel like, and maybe this is a bold statement, you know, I'm not here to <laughs> tell Hitchcock how to do his job, but I feel like that part of the movie, at least in a mod- under a modern lens, it's like you wouldn't do it anymore. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird. He's like, well, he was thinking this, and then his mother did this, and then he did that. And you're like, okay, like, you know, you're kind of like, I, I got it. <laughs> but it- it's a different time. It's mm-hmm. the 60s. Um as far as the other characters, I like that part only because 
I mean, I think I've mentioned about a thousand times on this podcast that I like to listen to true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. And um, I just like the way that it plays out. But I, I guess maybe I think of Lilla and Sam and the detec- detective Lessis characters in more like vehicles for how we're going to catch the bad guy. Because it's like, you know, without them, um, you know, they they pick up on all the cues of how they find where Marion went. Like the fact that, you know, uh, Norman says he didn't have any guests, but then the, he looks in the book and there is a guest and then he demands a receipt. Like there's so many little ways that he's trying to trap Norman and Norman's not a formidable villain. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how is he going to take all these people on? Um, and then he kind of does and it's really impressive and we need to see like the mother, we need that shocking moment you know Mm -hmm. so i i do i i don't think it necessarily dips but i would say it's different the first part we really get to know the characters and it's like a character study almost of marion and then the next part it's just all the action (laughs) yeah that's a re that's an excellent way the whole thing is an excellent way of of putting it it's like almost a slightly different type of movie like it's a a complete shift yeah it's it's so it holds your attention but in a completely in a completely different way because now like let's say like if they did allow people into the audience after after the murder you'd be like oh it's a mystery like what a fun murder mystery i'm watching oh man (laughs) and yeah and suddenly all those clues about like you know she left she um what time she left she didn't make it to the bank you know all these little things that we her boyfriend her sister you know things that we kind of maybe were hinted at start to come into play and benefit the characters because they know her. Whereas like, I guess like if she was just some random lady that didn't commit a big crime or, you know, something like that, it's like, would people even be looking for her the same way? You know? Oh, you know, that's a great point. They might've been like, Oh, Mary. And she'll like skip town, but they wouldn't be like, yeah. where's the money? Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah, g- it, great point. And it adds another level of a, uh, you know, I think Sam Loomis thinks that that's, you know, Norman's motive, right? That mm-hmm. he must have been after the money. Why else would he be after her? Like, it doesn't even occur to him that she would be the primary victim. It seems like a really weird coincidence, and it, it is in the movie. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love that Sam Loomis is a, like, you know, he's just like the guy in this in this movie. But that's just a name that has become infamous in horror circles because of Halloween. You know, Dr. Sam, Dr. Sam Loomis, the man who must stop uh, Michael Myers is. Uh, oh, OK. Yeah. And then I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's it's a I mean, Psycho gets parodied and riffed and whatever else. But like a lot of the stuff is pulled like a lot of um, it's a lot of it's a lot of homage and have references and Easter eggs, but that's um, Sam Loomis is uh, Dr. Sam, Dr. Loomis is named for Sam Loomis. And then Janet Lee's daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis is, right. you know, Lori um, can't remember her last name from Halloween. So this like mm-hmm. psycho is littered in Halloween. It's almost like psycho 2.0. It's like, how do we, what if Norman was loose kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just did that episode with Chris Balga on his podcast about, uh, um, Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know they it, this movie's referenced constantly in that book. I mean, it's just all over it. <laughs> so yeah, it influenced a lot. It's it's tough not to reference the greats, 
you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, okay, maybe this is just because it was like, I know sometimes when you watch an old movie, like people look alike, but do you think it's weird that in some ways I feel like Anthony Perkins and Perkins, sorry, and John Gavin almost look alike? Uh, like they're both so strikingly good looking and they both have like the same haircut. I don't know. It seems weird to me. I've never, ever thought about that, but you're right. I've, like it maybe it might be like that maybe you're right maybe it's like the type of person you say like sometimes people look alike in movies like if uh if i showed kids i don't know interview with the vampire would they look at tom cruise and brad pitt and be like they they look alike right like is it is it just because they're like tall dark and handsome kind of thing <laughs> but i don't know to me it's like the two sisters look alike that makes sense they're sisters but yeah. yeah, I don't know. The two guys kind of look alike too, and I wondered if there was a reason for that. Or I'm not well. Actually, so the guy John Gavin, who played Loomis, um, he was uh, he was uh, Hitchcock was forced to use him by the studio. Oh, really? Was, okay. Yeah, he was a studio actor. He didn't really want him, mm. but they were like, "You're going to use this guy." And he was like, "All right, fine. You're giving me everything else, so <laughs> whatever." <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't have that much. I mean, he's got things to do in the movie, but he's not like he's not Norman Bates. So right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Well, that answers that question. Probably just the '60s. <laughs> yeah, the answer is the '60s. That's just people. People looked at people looked like each other in the '60s. That's that. That was the deal. Yeah, it being black and white and everybody having like the same haircut doesn't help. Right, <laughs> right. Bef- yeah. Before the age of Mohawks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a fun fact about um, uh, the skeleton, um, Norman's mother's skeleton. So oh, okay. Actually, I have two fun facts about it. One, Yay. that it was one of them, one of the skeletons was assembled, was partially assembled by the um, beaver from Leave it to Beaver, whose name I can't remember. Oh, that's so cute. He, I mean, cute in a creepy in way. In a creepy way. <laughs> he was filming. So um, Psycho was filmed at Universal where Alfred Hitchcock mm. Presents was filmed. That was part of the deal yeah. with Paramount to like, you know, make this small movie on your TV studio budget and whatever else. But uh, um, Believe It to Beaver filmed next door. And so on breaks, the kid would go over and be like, hey, what's going on? And you need any help with anything? And like the prop guy would be like, yeah, help me put this hair on the skull. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So I think that's pretty cool. And also, so they went through a couple of different like versions of the the mother and what it looked like. And Hitch- uh-huh. Hitchcock needed a way to figure out if they were scary or not. So he used to place them around Janet Lee's like they'd put her in like they put one in a car and wouldn't tell her or like in her trailer <laughs> because she was like apparently like easily scared and he would ba- <laughs> and he would base the scariness of the skeleton off of the scream and so like like when she screamed for the one that's in the movie he's like that's it that's the one we're using that's it nice yep nice yeah poor Janet Lee she just like <laughs> like Hitchcock liked her but by God like yeah yeah. I I think uh, that's another really clever part of this movie is that, I mean, they don't, I mean, Hitchcock really messes with you because when it's the mother's voice, I mean, it's a woman. Mm -hmm. So when you get that reveal at the end, it's like, what? I think I can imagine like audiences back then just being like, what is happening? I remember <laughs> my nine-year-old mind being blown. Because like they carry her, when he carries her down the stairs and she's talking, I was like, oh, there she is. She's not moving a lot, but there she is. Like, wow. <laughs> what a crazy lady. Yeah. 
oh man, what a movie! Actually, the voice of the mother is a guy. Oh really? Yeah, he was okay. He was, it sounded like a woman. Yeah, he's a friend of Anthony Perkins, um, mm. and they used to prank call people in Hollywood together. So that's hilarious. Anthony, so like Anthony Perkins, he had like would set up like a recorder, and he had these like stars numbers and whatever, and he'd have his friend who played the mother like call people and be like, "Oh, it's Evelyn. You don't remember me, Joan Crawford? Like I'm five minutes down the road. I'll be right over." And he they would like play these recordings back at parties and whatever else and Hitchcock was at one of those parties and he was like that's it that's the voice of the mother well that's really smart then I mean because then it's like physically possible for him to have done the voice I I never read it that way you know I always just thought like that's the one part of the movie that's maybe a little supernatural or taking liberties or something mm-hmm. that's really cool yeah I know. I'm just, I told you I'm littered with the facts. They might not be fun, but I'm littered <laughs> with facts. I'm having yeah, fun. That's good. <laughs> Actually, I will. A lot of my, I mean, info comes from like knowing the movie. But if if anybody like wants to know more about like the making of Psycho, there's this podcast network called Wondery. Um, yes, yes, I know what you're about to yes, say. Yes, yep, and they do ahead. these like inside movies thing, and it's like a radio play basically with one dude. Um, and they do inside Star Wars, inside Ex- inside the Exorcism, inside Jaws, and I think their first or second one was inside Psycho. And yeah, it's a Lindsey Graham, right? Not not yes. the Lindsey Graham people probably think of immediately, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, I know which mm-hmm. one. This is the one awesome. I think of immediately. Yeah, me too now. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I actually on our uh episode where we talked about um The Exorcist, I referenced that. And I was like, yes, the the Wondery uh series is so good. It's so good. Yes, it is. I I sadly mm-hmm. didn't I didn't listen to that episode because I've never seen no, the, okay. I've never seen The Exorcist. Oh, so. you're fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I just don't want to get. You know, I don't want to get yelled at in the street. Like, what do you mean you haven't? <laughs> what do you mean you haven't seen it? One of the greatest well, horror films I of all seen. time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, but but I've listened to the Jaws one as well, and I think I have listened to the Psycho one. I, like, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, I think I actually did listen to that one too. They're really good. Everyone should listen to them. They are really good. They're all yeah. <laughs> They're almost and they they weirdly kind of all intersect with one another, which is really yeah. cool. So, you know, like there's a in the Jaws one, there's a scene in which Steven Spielberg wants to meet Alfred Hitchcock, who's having friends with, you know, like can't remember if it's Nick Nolte or something like that. And they know each other. And so like that scene plays out in which Alf Hitchcock refuses to meet, quote, the fish guy. He refuses to meet Spielberg. Um, I love it. And then, love right. It. <laughs> and then in the like the psycho one, you find out like why Hitchcock doesn't want to meet Spielberg because Spielberg's like the guy he used to be and he's like intimidated by this young kid and Hitchcock's being like forgotten and it's like it's so yeah, yeah they, he's he does such a good job with all of them I would recommend listening to any of them but um, mm-hmm. yeah but anyway that's not the movie that's a, <laughs> a podcast that's neither of our podcasts that I'm <laughs> recommending I'm always that's why people are like can I plug my podcast I'm like yeah I you know I, I like interrupt my own podcast to be like, you should listen to this other one. I mean, keep listening to this one, but listen to this other one too. <laughs> yeah, like we say, we say nice things, but also there there are other there are other good ones that are doing things that we don't do. So go listen to them too. Right, exactly. Just have earbuds in all the time. Ignore your friends and family. <laughs> Communication with your spouse pff, unimportant. Listen to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. Let it destroy every moment of your life. Fill up every moment of your life with them. Exactly. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so back to this movie. Uh, what, what What's the next thing that you want to kind of run through? That's a great, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> it's a great question. Do you think that this movie, like the, the, the twist and um, I guess Norman's like dressing up like his mom or whatever, does that play as like anymore? Or is that like, is that, you know, is that something that you can this. like, is that something that you can even like do in a movie anymore? Hmm. You know, on the one hand, it's just such a great surprise at the end. And that, that I can't get the image out of my head of him wearing his mother's clothes and coming after her, but it's hard to escape the fact that this came out at a time where, I mean, you know, does that do anything positive for people that are cross-dressing or people that are trans? Like, the answer is no. <laughs> so it's kind of like, huh, can you do that today? Um, I don't know. And and the fact that Anthony Perkins, too, I mean, he was he was gay. I think he did eventually marry a woman, but I feel like it was more because of the time that he grew up in. So I kind of wonder what he thought about all that as well. Um, but I guess I, I would say that what makes this different than you know, picking on somebody who is dressing up in women's clothing is that it's specifically his mother, mm-hmm. you know, and, the, and, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. It definitely has more shock value than if he was dressing as his father. Right. Yeah. But, just... but it's a misdirect because he's not a woman. He's presenting himself as, you know, a cisgendered man and then you're hearing a woman's voice or what you think is a woman's voice and that's what makes it so shocking not necessarily that he would cross-dress not that you know he might want to be a woman but that he wants to be specifically his mother and i think that's still a disturbing thought Mm -hmm. especially when you've heard all that stuff that that has led up to hit like him saying stuff like i'm a poor you know a son is a poor substitute for a lover which is like the creepiest thing anyone's ever said um yep and uh you know just those little hints and so it's like it's not about him wanting to to be a woman at all it's it's specifically about his hatred and fear of his mother but then becoming her um and i think it's i i don't know i I guess that's my answer is like i do think it's dicey but i think it's different than if it was just like a guy that dressed up in women's clothing and killed people because then you're making a message where it's like, oh, if you cross-dress, you're a murderer. <laughs> but I don't think this movie's saying that necessarily. Yeah, you know? I think that's a great answer. And I think that's like, it's almost the difference between this and Silence of the Lambs, which is kind of, that's kind of what that says, you know? In right. A-, a lot of older movies say that. And it's like, you know, people say like, well, who cares? It's just a movie, but... You know, there's messaging, in my opinion, there's messaging everywhere. You can't escape it. You know, any filmmaker is going to introduce their own ideology, their own thoughts. And they and and also they reflect what we all think. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing movies over and over again, where every time there's a gay man, he's a pedophile or he's a criminal, you know, or every time there's someone that's cross-dressing, they're killing somebody. I mean, you're sending a message that is making a correlation between those two things, like they're connected when they're really not. And is that good for our society? Like, I don't think so. I wouldn't be happy if I, you know, if I was in that, one of those marginalized 
communities and I'm being presented that way. I'd be like, hey, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's part of the reason why I've said before, I don't like it when, you know, Latino characters are always or Latinx characters are always, you know, uh, you know, drug dealers. I'm like, okay, that's not really reflective of all of us, you know? Right. So it's like it, you, I think that that is something to consider. It's something I think about a lot, honestly, because we cover a lot of classic films that I really enjoy. And so it's just something you've, it comes up. Yeah. Those are the excellent, excellent answers. I, and I honestly, with, with stuff like it must, for modern audiences, I think like actually Bates Motel having seven seasons, I think it was seven, like, I think that, in a way, almost, you could say that, like, Psycho can sit in a different category for a lot of the reasons yeah. that you said. Because if you can have a modern show run for seven seasons that deals with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the same, a lot of the same, um, I guess. Like a themes, themes, I guess. Yeah. yeah, themes is probably the best word for it. Uh, I, and people, not not a single person was like raising some flag and you know they're like let's burn the studio down you know or anything like that <laughs> i never thought about that i actually did like the show because vera farminga did such an incredible job as that mother character i feel like we're sort of in a i don't know we're in a time period right now where all the movies coming out are about the mom it's like oh we never thought about actually exploring that <laughs> so it's like you know we get to know her as a person and she's terrifying on that show. And I feel like it's a good precursor to movies like Hereditary, you mm. know, and other films like that that have a really scary mother character. I mean, we've seen the scary dad in The Shining and Amityville Horror and, you know, all those other movies. But they, they haven't really explained the woman. Usually the, the, the mom characters, like in this movie, where, you know, her just being too overbearing and the dad leaving, that's enough <laughs> to turn a kid into a, a full-blown you know, serial killer. Yeah, true um, enough. Yeah. The the <laughs> only example of this, like, ish era, which is, I mean, almost a decade later, more than a decade later, that I can think of is Carrie. Yeah, yeah, Carrie is a good one. Um, yeah. That that had a pretty terrifying mom. Uh-huh, yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then nothing, probably. But there's probably some in there. But you're right. It's mostly dads. You're, that's... Yeah. Yeah. That's and the mom so character, true. again, it's like she just neglects them or she has sex too much or so something like that. And mm -hmm. it, like, turns the male character into, like, a murderer. And it's always like, really? So it, that's what's kind of cool about Bates Motel is, like, you can see, like, you know, how does her behavior affect her son and, like, in a way that's more convincing than mm -hmm. um, in, in this movie we only get, like, hints of what she was like. Oh, that is a that's an excellent point. I actually had a um, I'm an English teacher, and I had I was using this like psycho scene in the film class that I I teach, and uh, I said, you know, like this is the setup, blah blah blah. And a kid raised her hand, and she was like, "Oh, like Bates Motel? Is that what this is?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, like I it hurts me." That, like, you know the show but don't know the movie that it comes from, like, at all. But that's okay. Right, that's what school's <laughs> for. We're going to teach you some things. That's okay. That's true. And, I mean, you know, it, I like that show. It's no Hitchcock, but it, it's, a, it's a fun show. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's, that's mind-blowing. I didn't even think about that fact that there could be anyone that wouldn't realize it was related. <laughs> sure. They just, like, people, like, it, it happens more than you'd almost want to admit if you're right a movie fan but you know what we not all of us were privileged to take a take a film class where we watched all the important movies because i did what i had one of those too you know 
you know. Yeah, and also, well, apparently also, I didn't learn that much. Remember, I told you that yes, <laughs> like that's some true. of them, I'm like, I didn't appreciate it when I was watching it. What's wrong with me? I know. I don't know. I was like 18. Exactly. <laughs> no, I was, I would think I was 19 or something like that when I took my first film class and like I did not appreciate. <laughs> now I wish I remembered Gone Voyager. No, what was I? The Quiet American and like a few like really substantially good films and nope nothing like not a not a single thing registered but now i just want to <laughs> slap my 19 year old self like understand the important cinema <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah um, well what are your thoughts on the message of the movie like what do you think does it age well or um i think i i think i agree with you actually because i i i grapple i grapple with it but i i think you kind of knit you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said it's not really about dressing like dressing like a woman to be a murderer. It's being his mom, which like sits in a, a different level of creepiness and like um, uh, not craziness. We don't really want to use that word, but um, you know, psychosis, I, I, I guess uh, like, you know, like he needs, he needs more help than just, you know, like, oh, he likes dresses. What a crazy person. You know, it's yeah, it's yeah. so much deeper than that. And I um so I think the movie can almost get away with it because because of that. Uh, you know, and it's not even just about like it's not even just about like dressing like his mom, like he is his mom. And you, right. know, you know, like the fine like the end scene where he's like, She wouldn't hurt a fly and all of that, like it's her up there or it's like his approximation of her. And so it, it, there's a lot, there are a lot more layers than maybe what some other films that don't do it as well. They like, it's almost like psycho did it really well. And everyone was like, Oh, he wants to be a woman and then did it the wrong way. Does that, if that, you know, if that makes sense, because Norman doesn't like, Norman doesn't have control like does Norman even have control over his actions you know yeah it doesn't seem like it (laughs) no so I don't yeah so I think I think almost any movie in a weird way doesn't age well there are very few that do there's always like some type of outdated some kind of outdated idea like you said like a filmmaker you can't they can't help but put like the subjectivity of their of their culture and their context from which the film was made into the movie. Right. Everybody does mm-hmm. it. It's, it's even going to come out in the way that we're um, talking about this movie. Like eventually our conversation might be outdated too. Exactly. Yeah. No. And I think about that all the time of like, what am I saying now that is so wrong? Probably the fact that I said nuts a few times. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but, no, I can't say uh, nuts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but um yeah, no, I agree with you. And the fact that it's used for the element of surprise, you know, it, it's a misdirect uh, to keep showing her voice. And then we find out it's not her, it's him. So I think that's another part of it. Again, it's not just like you said about somebody that just dresses like his mom. It's somebody that's grappling or in, in yeah, in some form of psychosis where they think they are them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. What would you say is like the, like, if you wanted to introduce this movie to somebody but they actually didn't know the twist like but they don't like old movies how would you get them to watch this uh i guess i would say it's you know first of all it's hitchcock and i think hitchcock sort of breaks the mold like he and like orson wells i feel like you can Mm. watch their movies and they're 
they're seriously they're like just as good as they were then because they are so different from other movies of their time and so I think this movie is like that it's highly stylized um it's got great suspense it's a thriller um but yeah and and I would just say that it does have a twist you know and 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 maybe that would keep them engaged but I think yeah, I think that would be my elevator pitch. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tough movie to pitch because I, I thought of it when th- with the synopsis because it it like the synopsis only tells you the very basically the beginning of the movie. Right, it doesn't want to spoil anything. Nope. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. No, but man, I just I just love this movie, and I you know it's funny. I normally would like want to watch. I would want to watch the movie before I talk about it, and I didn't have time to do that. And I'm sad, just not because I don't know the movie, but I just want to watch it again now. <laughs> well, you can anytime. <laughs> I can. That's the magic of that's the magic of streaming and modern movie watching. Um, I would actually I would love to go to like the Universal Studio tour lot and see the house and the hotel or the motel. Yeah, I I actually have a couple times. Um, oh, it's the one in uh, L.A. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but because I had family that lived close to LA, <laughs> that, so I've seen it before. That that makes sense. I have my uh, the uh, cousin-in-law lives in LA, and it's just like a ripe excuse to to go. Like, there you go, visiting family, but also going to see a studio tour. I actually have a little notepad that I picked up uh, this summer, and it's like it's a Bates Motel notepad, like you would get in nice. the hotel. <laughs> Private bath and shower. It says on the uh, on one corner, and a family owned business on the other one. Amazing! I love stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Those are those are the best. Where you kind of have to look at it for a minute to understand that it's that it's a swag from the movie. Yep, I love it. Private bath and shower, hilarious. (laughs) Well, Tim, did you have any other things that you wanted to discuss about the movie? Any other scenes or anything else? Uh, I think I'm still scared of stairways, if that, like, walking <laughs> up the stairs. Like, people talk about the shower scene, but everyone forgets that he jumps down the stairs at the detective, you know, like, oh, and then they yeah. have to, and then they tumble down the stairs. That scared me more than the shower scene when I was a kid, and I still kind of think about that sometimes when I walk upstairs. I don't know what started my fear of stairways, uh... Maybe this is maybe maybe I'm afraid of stairs because of this movie. That's interesting. Yeah, because I feel the same way. Like sometimes I'll go up the stairs and I'll like I'll tell Nick I'm like, you ever have like a horrible thought like, oh, what if I just fall down all these stairs and like die or something mm-hmm. crazy? And he's like, why would you say that? And why would you ever think that? I'm like, I don't know. These thoughts just pop into my head. It's probably from a movie. <laughs> it, it might be from the movie. It, it could very well be from this this movie. I remember uh, going to see um, some friends. I had uh, um, some friends that lived on Nantucket when I was a kid. Some family friends and their house. When you like walked in, it was this big old, uh, this big big old house, and it looked like basically it basically looked like the Bates home. And so, but you <laughs> walk in, and there's this big staircase that like of wrapped course. up with red carpeting, you know, like that like deep blood red carpeting and i was like i'm gonna die in this house norman's gonna come out of the (laughs) corner and i'm gonna die and i only once i've been back to i had been to that house a dozen times the course of my life i only went up those stairs once i'll be like i'm gonna use the other stairs because i'm a chicken (laughs) because this this is terrifying and i don't i was actually stuck there in a snowstorm once and sleeping on the third floor and i was like i'm either gonna die or there's a ghost that haunts here so it's like 
that there's a murderer in the shower or on the stairs or I'm going to get haunted by some ghosts, you know, and they're going to be like, you know, you know, beware of Crimson Peak. And I'll be like, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any Victorian house is just automatically spooky now. Mm-hmm. One last question for you. Uh, I So you, you we've kind of talked this whole time about how much you love this movie, but if you could sum up like in a sentence, why do you think you've seen it so many times? Ooh, good cause. Uh, I knew you were going to ask the question too, because it's the uh, it is it is like <laughs> the question you ask, and I'll be like, I'm going to be prepared, not prepared. Uh, I think, I think, mm, I think I come back because there's always something to explore, you, mm-hmm. you know, and I I think you can. Whether you want to talk about Marion, you want to talk about you want to talk about Norman, you want to talk about the cinematography, you want to talk about the uh, the psychology of the film, or you want to talk about the the mise en scene, um, the inc- uh, the, the like subtle intricacies of the plot. It, it, there's always something to explore, like good good film, good um, literature, whatever there is. Um, you know that there, there's ambiguity to explore yeah and i think psycho is is filled with ambiguity even though it deceptively isn't at the same time and that's what makes it so good i know that was way more than a sentence but i think that's why i keep revisiting it also no i agree also because i'm a big scaredy cat and new horror movies scare me so i'm fine revisiting one that (laughs) only slightly creeps me out now (laughs) (laughs) that and that's perfectly fine uh, well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at TimothyPG13. Uh, I am um, appropriate for all ages, you know, uh, <laughs> and, uh, PG13 for action adventure. Uh, and uh, you can find me at Twitter on PG, uh, TimothyPG13. You can find me on a bunch of Thoppable audio podcasts, uh, Supergirl TV Talk, Beer with Geeks, Academy Rewind, Read Up, Tolkien TV Talk. I, I'm all over the place. Wow. Too many podcasts for Staggering. one person. But the trick is not <laughs> doing them all at the same time. So That's smart. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I also forgot to mention at the top of my podcast that at the Texas Theater on December 4th at 7 o'clock, John Cleese is going to be here to receive the Ernie Kovacs Awards. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet and you're local to the area, it's going to be super fun. You should definitely come out and see it. That is um, that is cool. I saw John Cleese yeah. live a couple of years ago. He Oh, awesome. He did a, I, I haven't gotten a chance to, so I'm like freaking out. He is something else. He is <laughs> he is something else. And I actually when you see him when you're done, like tell me I want to talk about it. I want to see what he was like for you. Yay. Well, you know, I was a really big uh Monty Python fan, mm-hmm. so that's definitely going to influence me. Oh uh, yes. And how I feel about it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a good time. Yeah. That's cool. Awesome. That is so cool. <laughs> well, Tim, thanks so much again. And you're gonna have to come up with another movie to talk about oh my goodness i think you mentioned one or two maybe recently so um, um yeah i mean we'll have to come back i'll talk about literally almost any movie so I, <laughs> yay. yay so well again thanks for having <laughs> and next time i talk to you i think maybe uh it'll be academy rewind best of 2019 i would love that seriously i want to do that so bad so definitely excellent well we will definitely chat in either late december or early january then so <laughs> Excellent. I'm fist bumping. You can't see it. Yes. So, yeah. I'll fist yeah. bump my own fist and I'll pretend that it's yours. Bam. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, yeah, great. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks very much. All right. Have a good one. You too.